This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. We are the land defending itself! Another day of protest disrupts traffic blocking bridges. We cannot allow... Uh, the loudest voice to stop us from doing the important work that needs to be done. Parents reeling after a missed diagnosis. 100%. It was a very extensive and severe brain injury. Where their baby finally got the help he needs. And an untold story from the opening ceremonies 10 years ago. It was a little embarrassing, actually, because I had to be so quiet about the entire thing. The secret audition Rick Hansen nailed to play his part in history. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with breaking news out of Vancouver, where it has been another day of disruptive protests. Indigenous rights supporters staging roaming demonstrations throughout the downtown core again. Ramina Dea is live in Vancouver. And Ramina, this has been going on all day and continues to have an impact. Absolutely massive disruptions, Chris, that we've been seeing in Vancouver since last week. The anti-pipeline protesters are going to continue the demonstrations. It started at around 10 o'clock this morning at B.C. Supreme Court, then headed over to the Coastal Gas Link offices and then over to the Granville Bridge, where that bridge was shut down in both directions for many, many hours today. Now, the bridge, that bridge is open. The Burrard Bridge, where everybody was being rerouted to, saw heavy, heavy traffic today. It's easing up a little bit right now. It looks like there is, uh, it's still a little rough on the south side of that bridge, but again, it's pretty much moving to more of a typical rush hour day. As far as the protests are concerned, we're not seeing anybody downtown at this point. We did hear an update a short time ago on CKNW. Jody Vance was doing an interview with one of the organizers there, Natalie Knight, and she was saying that protesters are going to be standing down tonight. They're going to give people a break. Um, They don't want to get them too tired. They are going to reconvene tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock in Kitsilano. Then they are going to decide on their plan of action. So there's going to be more disruptions. As far as what that's going to look like, all options are on the table is what they're saying. Back to you. All right. Thanks very much, Ramina. Well, that latest protest today coming just hours after demonstrators dismantled their blockade of another major Vancouver intersection, which tied up traffic for hours. As Aaron MacArthur reports, the impact and inconvenience of these rolling protests is raising the question of whether police should be doing more. After the sacred flame was extinguished from the middle of Cambian Broadway, the barricades were removed and the protesters scattered to the wind. But the day's action really just getting started. A group of 200 or so protesters first went to court. The plan to challenge the injunction granted to the Port of Vancouver 
to prevent people from blocking access to the docks. We are also challenging the injunction because we do not follow colonial Canadian law. And then an impromptu march weaved its way down Granville Street to the headquarters of Coastal GasLink. The inconvenience to the public has been enormous. Buses stopped or rerouted, traffic halted, ambulances forced to make detours around the demonstration. And despite some major safety concerns, all of this under the watchful eye of the VPD. The VPD wouldn't do an on-camera interview today, but did send us an emailed statement saying they're aware of the disruptions to traffic and the public these protests are causing. And while people have a right to demonstrate, they will respond to future demonstrations appropriately and proportionately. I don't want to live in a society where politicians direct police to take action against other citizens without appropriate reason for doing so. People caught up in it all, agitated. This honestly, uh, makes me really want to go down there and confront them. This won't be the end. More action planned for Thursday. The issue now becoming so much more than simply just about the wet sweating people. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Now, today, Premier Horgan addressed these growing protests, calling what happened at the legislature yesterday unacceptable. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with more and what might be coming in the days ahead. Keith? Yeah, it's always now a guessing game. What's going to happen next? What's the next target? Uh, you heard Aaron talk about more action on Thursday. There's uh, reports that could happen in Kitsilino. But now the B.C. Liberals have got their hands on some internal documents from some local activist groups that outline a plan to shut down government buildings here in, uh, in Victoria, at least 20 of them, with as many as 500 people on Friday from noon to uh, from uh, 9 a.m. to noon. The issue was brought up in the legislature uh, by Mary Polak, the Liberal House leader. And for the first time, Premier John Horgan is saying they actually anticipate this and they have a plan to deal with it. Here's an exchange from QP. People who work there and people who rely on the services want assurance that these folks will not be allowed to get close enough to shut down government services. What kind of plans are in place and can these workers be assured that this isn't going to happen? Premier. Thank you, Honourable Speaker, and I thank the member for the question, which is an appropriate one, appropriately delivered. And yes, gov yes government is working on a plan to address these issues. I'm confident uh, that uh, the security uh, personnel here have access to that material, but I'm confident that if, if you're prepared to give us a copy, we'll ensure that the appropriate authorities have them. So yesterday, of course, we all used the word unprecedented about what happened here. And it was unprecedented in that the entrances were blocked. But in terms of mayhem, I want to take you back a number of years, back to 1993, when we literally had protesters storm through the gates of the legislature on throne speech day, just like yesterday was throne speech day. This was different because they actually were able to force their way inside, uh, going up the steps, which had just been uh, paraded up by the lieutenant governor. You can see them pushing at the doors. Uh, they break their way in. It was quite a dramatic. I was actually there. Uh, a, a guard was knocked to the ground. His hip was broken. They got into the outer uh, lobby where they broke the, uh, the stained glass window in front of the chamber. Again, quite dramatic. A number of arrests. Um, and that's the most violent episode we've had here at the legislature. Uh, it certainly dwarfs anything that happened yesterday on that front. But again, we were at least able to get into the House in 93, unlike yesterday when uh, entry was pretty well denied for a number of people for a long time. Oh, dramatic stuff. All right. Thanks, Keith. Mm -hmm. All right.
Well, the protests that have spread across the country now are about much more than just a natural gas pipeline in B.C. As Jordan Armstrong reports, the issues include a complicated history between First Nations and European settlers and a passionate desire to protect the environment. It is arguably the most memorable scene from Tuesday's protest at the B.C. legislature. The woman holding the feather is none other than Chrissy Brett. If she looks and sounds familiar, you're Shame right. You. Here she was in September, confronting Vancouver police. Brett has served as a spokesperson for tent cities in Vancouver. There were people literally dying in the streets. Victoria, Saanich, and Langford. She's been called a rabble-rouser and a professional protester. But Brett, who was adopted into a white home during the 60s scoop, wears those labels as badges of honour. I am a people protector and a land protector. If they want to say that, like, it's a bad thing, that's entirely up to them. While Indigenous concerns are front and centre at this week's rallies, many participants are non-Indigenous. Oh, I guess I'm a settler on these lands. Environmental groups like the Wilderness Committee are taking part in the marches through Vancouver, as are students. I've educated myself as much as I can. Okay through Indigenous people, through speaking to them, through reading their stories, gotcha. through hearing them. Do you know what's in the pipeline? Uh, yeah. What is it? Dead animals from the ground. No, no, what, what product would be shipped through the pipeline? Uh, bitumen, I believe. No, it's natural gas. Okay. <sighs> they're, they're extremely uninformed. Liberal MLA Ellis Ross is a former elected chief of the Heisla Nation, something a student activist failed to recognize Tuesday. A young man yelled in my face that I should stand up for indigenous rights. Back in Vancouver, this man says some people don't know what they're protesting, but he's not worried. But it's good though at the same time because like once they look into it and stuff, they'll be like, oh, you know, like I was with that, you know. So they learn more after they join the cause. Exactly, you know, like I did. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. And for the first time in decades, the Wet'suwet'en are gathering for an all-clan meeting to address both the pipeline project and the discord it's created within their own community. At the same time, many Wet'suwet'ens say the protesters in Vancouver, Victoria, and other cities across Canada don't speak for them. Sarah McDonald reports. With work now resuming on the natural gas pipeline, galvanizing protesters nationwide. The last holdout standing in the way of the energy giant behind it, having left by force and with division in their wake. It's really hard because um, there's division. There are people who are for the pipeline and there are people who are against the pipeline. It's the people like Candace George with jurisdiction over the swath of Indigenous land in northern B.C. left living with the fallout of a widening wedge driven through Wet'suwet'en Soda Nation. When I see the, uh, the protesting elsewhere, I do understand a bit of it, but... Like I said, this is the Wet'suwet'en problem. The lucrative pipeline that has polarized this region also promises prosperity and economic opportunity to the communities it runs through in exchange for access to resources and unceded territory. I have a truck payment, I got a house payment, I got a, I got a boy that's, that's going to be with me for the rest of my life that I have to work. The multi-billion dollar deal, years in the making, recognized by provincial and federal governments and backed by the nation's elected leaders. We don't have very many projects up in northern BC to sustain our communities. But rejected by the vocal majority of its hereditary ones and their supporters. Yes, they need a paycheck, but I think there's better ways to get a paycheck. 
I think there's better ways to get a paycheck that will look after the environment, look after our water, our salmon, our culture. Now all sides are being called to the table, summoned to a rare meeting of all clans and chiefs. And they need to discuss and come to a consensus decision because that has never happened. While a resolution is unlikely, all sides say unity and respect is paramount, with friendships and families already fractured. As demonstrators far disconnected from the heart of the issue take sides. Now it's time for Wet'suwet'en people to handle this issue by themselves. As a largely internal conflict that's as complex as it is impassioned plays out on the world stage. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Meantime, the economic impact of rail line blockades across Canada is growing. More than 150 freight trains are sitting idle in B.C. and Ontario. And CN Rail is warning it will have to close significant parts of its network if the blockades aren't removed. Via Rail passenger services have also been affected in B.C., Ontario and Quebec. More than 150 trains have been cancelled, affecting more than 24,000 travellers. A newborn baby in medical distress and the misdiagnosis that almost cost him his life. What his parents want you to know coming up on the news hour. And a boost for Bernie Sanders. What his win in New Hampshire means for two people who used to be considered front runners. Later. Right now, though, BC Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson is making a public apology tonight for a comment he made after Tuesday's throne speech. The comment was widely seen as dismissive and insensitive to victims of domestic abuse. Richard Zussman reports. It was a typical question for Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson on Red FM Wednesday morning. What did he think of the throne speech? They talked about guns in hospitals, which nobody has ever heard of. They talked about rural policing and they talked about five days pay for people who are in a tough marriage. It's the tough marriage part drawing sharp criticism. The province committing in the throne speech to five days of paid leave for someone fleeing a domestic violence relationship. Victims Advocacy Group and Violence BC asking for Wilkinson to apologize for trivializing the issue. It seemed a very flippant way of referring to something that has devastated families and communities. Soon after the comments were shared online, Wilkinson didn't say he was sorry, but did acknowledge he chose the wrong words. I should have perhaps mentioned it on a more wider spectrum, but obviously domestic violence is a critically important issue in all of its manifestations. NDP MLA Mitzi Dean says Wilkinson's comments show he doesn't understand the realities of people facing intimate partner violence. Yeah, well, it's very disturbing. It shows how out of touch that he is. This isn't the first time Wilkinson has caused controversy with his words. Criticized last year for describing his time as a renter this way. It's kind of a wacky time of life, but it can be really enjoyable. Wilkinson also tweeting after concerns were raised about his latest comment that victims of domestic violence need their voices heard and that he wants everyone to know they have that support with him. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. The Olympic Cauldron in Jackpool Plaza relit this morning, marking 10 years since the Winter Games took over the city. Canadian Olympians Alexa Liu and Jennifer Heil were on hand for the ceremony today. It was a magical time, but the glory and celebration didn't start that way. No, on the first day of the Games, many questions still lingered about whether they would be a success. Squire Barnes is live up in Whistler, which shared in some of, well, a lot of that Olympic glory too. And he's got a look back. Squire. Thank you very much, Chris. Yeah, you're right. Before the Olympics started, 
there was a lot of questions about how is it going to go both structurally and for the athletes and for Canada. There was a tragedy, of course, uh, on day one, but after that, it went spectacularly well in pretty much every way, and especially for Canadian athletes since we had the most gold medals at 14. You know, it's interesting in Whistler. If you come up here, you'll notice there are a lot of Australians in Whistler, and there was someone who actually was a bobslayer for Australia in 2010. Then he switched and became one of our bobsledders. We talked to him today, Chris Spring. Okay, Chris, you're the perfect guy to ask because you've been to three Olympics? Correct. Three Olympics, 2010, 2014, 2018. Yep. So compare the one that was here to the two you were at afterwards. Well, I don't want to be biased, but this one was amazing. It was fantastic here. It was my very first Olympics, so it's very hard to beat that with those, those initial experiences that you get. Uh, but the thing that really stood out to me about these Olympics was the crowd. Okay, and that, and you can really speak to that because in 2010 you were with the Australian bobsled team, right? Correct. And there are lots of Aussies around this area. Yeah. So tell me the story when you were in the start hut. Is it the hut? Yeah, the start house. Okay, house, yeah. good. Close enough. Tell me about that story. So we're, we're up here during the, the Vancouver 2010 Olympics. It's race day. You know, obviously anyone that's been here to Whistler, they understand that there are so many Australians in town. And uh, it was really great to get that same support and that same level of hype, that vibe. As soon as I came out here uh, for, my, for my run, my first run down the track, the Aussies that were lying down the track, it was insane. So many, and they're crazy Aussies too, you know, shirts off, face painted, just cheering me on. And I was, I was kind of a little bit uh, taken back by, you know, not expecting that. But geez, it was a wonderful feeling and uh, it definitely got me going on the start ramp here. So you're like a second home team. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it honestly felt like a home Olympics for me. You've been in the 14, the 18, what about 2022? Yeah, I hope to be there in 2022. Uh, still training hard for that, and hopefully, you know, I don't think there's a, a saying fourth time's a charm, but uh, I'm going to make it one, and hopefully that'll be the, the Olympics for my team and I to come home with some medals for Canada. All right. Mike Janik is here with us. Mike, you were in two events. Yes. Yeah, in the 2010 Games, I was in the Combine and the Slalom. And you know this town well. <laughs> yeah, I uh, grew up here, started skiing here. And yeah, we moved up with my family when I was young. Uh, yeah, for skiing. If you weren't here 10 years ago, for those who weren't, what was it like? You know, it was, yeah, it was really magical. Uh, especially the support that this town gives uh, to uh, its athletes, but its residents. And to be kind of brought up um in one moment in time around that where everyone else came uh to join in was was really really cool yeah it's it's a memory you can't erase and you don't want to erase yeah. but there are many things tangible that were left behind too for whistler in the area what were they yeah there was a lot of legacy things uh i mean i personally live in a home that was built for athlete housing uh but the ski club got uh a lot of gear some safety gear some gates uh, the Slotting Center, the Nordic Center, uh, there's an athlete gym now in town, which is a hub for a lot of teams to come train. So it really made it a strong hub to start developing the next wave of Canadian athletes. And you've been to three Olympics, and I know this was the hometown Olympics, but what did the other athletes say about this game? <laughs> These games, I should say. Yeah. I actually had um, uh, guys I raced with uh, for years after that would still talk about the volunteerism. 
the volunteerism, the way people embraced everyone from outside uh, to make them feel welcome definitely stands out. It was, yeah, it was so special. And they, yeah, little stories from their drivers or fans, you know, or the person greeting them at Athlete Housing. Yeah, it so. was, it was, like you say, the people here, not just the athletes, but the volunteers did an amazing job. Oh, it was unreal. It was really cool. Well, thanks for joining us, Mike. <laughs> cool. Mike Janik, who, of course, was here in 2010 racing for that country right there. <laughs> Back to you guys. All right, thanks, Squire. Love that red quilted jacket, too. It's uh Quite a collector's item now. All right, Cypress Mountain was the venue for all freestyle skiing and snowboard events. And being winter ready was a challenge back then, to say the least. That is where we find meteorologist Christy Gordon with a look back at the weather concerns that we had. Very real concerns leading up to the games, Christy. Oh, very real indeed. Now, it's a winter wonderland up here, but re literally back in 2010, this was mud and rock for the most part. We had record-breaking warmth in the month leading up to the Olympics, and it pretty much stayed mild all the way through February. I want to introduce you to uh, Joffrey Komen. He's the Director of Sales and Marketing here at, the, at Cyprus, and the, he was here during the Olympics, and it was quite a feat Vanock had uh, in the days leading up to try and bring in the snow. Tell us about that prep. Yeah, it was an exciting time. I mean, there was tents and bleachers and every flat ground had something being erected on it. So it was uh, uh, definitely exciting to see the helicopters and trucks and, uh, and everything got pulled off in the end. So, uh, yeah. I understood 36 trucks of snowfall each day, all the way from Manning Park. You're pushing snow from the, from the tops of the mountain. Did you think it was possible? Yeah, I knew it was going to come together, and it sure did. I mean, you know, looking back, um, it, all the games went off pretty pretty well up here. You know, we had six gold medals, and when Alexander Bilodeau, you know, did his gold medal here, I think uh, it was a, a really proud moment for us. I bet. So what was it like for your team being a part and welcoming uh, the world, really, to your mountain? Well, all of our team were kind of employed by Vanock at the time, so they got, uh, you know, their, their, their hands on all sorts of different duties at that time. So it was definitely exciting for them and a change of pace, for sure. And it sure is nice to have a nice season here for you guys this year. It's been fantastic. We'll have more from Cyprus in a little bit. Thank you so much, Joffrey. And, uh, yeah, I remember being up here, and it was beautiful for one of the freestyle events. It was so hot even I had to put on sunscreen, you guys. But it was spectacular and so much fun. Not optimal sure for, a, for a Winter Olympics, for sure. <laughs> Thanks very much, Christy. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Christy. Counterflow is out over here at the Massey Tunnel. Two lanes in both directions. Southbound traffic is a little bit slow on the approach from Steveston. Northbound traffic out of Delta is moving well. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. In U.S. politics, Bernie Sanders has emerged as the new frontrunner in the race for the Democratic presidential nomination after taking the New Hampshire primary. Thank you, New Hampshire. 
It's a repeat victory for the Vermont senator who bested Hillary Clinton in New Hampshire back in 2016. Coming in a close second was Pete Buttigieg, while Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar placed third. It was a disappointing night, though, for one-time frontrunner Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden, who came in fourth and fifth. Canadian journalism lost a giant with the passing of longtime newspaper columnist Christy Blatchford. Blatchford is remembered as a hard-nosed scribe known for her deep source scoops and biting opinion pieces. She'd been undergoing treatment for lung cancer at a Toronto hospital, but the cancer had spread to her spine and hip by the time it was detected late last year. She was 68 years old. In health matters tonight, a B.C. mom is demanding answers tonight as her two-month-old baby boy fights a life-altering infection in B.C. Children's Hospital. She first took him to Abbotsford General's ER, where she was told it was likely nothing more than a cold. But as Catherine Urquhart reports, when he didn't improve, she went to another hospital, and that's where she got a much more serious diagnosis. Two-and-a-half-month-old Lucas Lacase is fighting for his life at BC Children's Hospital. The infant has meningitis. He also suffered a stroke, and a blood clot sits at the base of his skull. He's staring up in the sky, and then he just stops. He just, he just stops breathing. So I start singing in his ear, and I'm hoping, hoping that he'd hear me or something, and he takes a breath. Lucas's anguished parents are now questioning why their son was released from Abbotsford Hospital. The Maple Ridge couple took him there January 27th when he had a fever of 102 degrees. They claim it took seven hours to see a doctor who told them to go home. She kind of looks at him and she says, okay, he's got a temperature. Okay, he's got a cold. So I want you to watch it five days, come back if it's not better or if it worsens. Four days later, when he wasn't improving, they took him to Surrey Memorial, where finally he was diagnosed. A pediatric doctor, the, the head doctor, came in on like his day off to see, to see Lucas and he said, you know, uh, I talked to somebody in um, BC Children's and he needs to go there tonight. Now in critical condition, he was rushed to BC Children's. Asked about what took place at Abbotsford Hospital, Fraser Health said, an assessment was done and decisions made on how to treat this child in the moment. Discharge instructions were also advised that if symptoms continued or worsened, to come back to the emergency department. The first-time parents say they're speaking out to alert others and hopefully prevent a similar situation. They put babies on antibiotics even before the meningitis test comes back, just as a precautionary, you know. Had that been done on Monday night, we wouldn't have been here. Friends have launched a GoFundMe to assist them with related expenses. Lucas is improving, but remains on antibiotics and blood thinners. His recovery remains uncertain. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. In other health news tonight, the shingles vaccine may help lower the risk for stroke. Centers for Disease Control researchers in the U.S. reviewed the health records of more than 2 million patients. They found that receiving the shingles vaccine lowered the risk of stroke by about 16 percent. The vaccine's protection was strongest among people aged 66 to 79. The shingles vaccine is recommended for people aged 50 and older. It's not hard to see why this baby video went viral, but after the forecast, what it was about the public's response that really made this little guy's parents happy. <laughs>
Rub it on my belly. <laughs> uh, okay, let's check back up at Cyprus again where Christy is. Mild weather 10 years ago, Christy, and it's pretty mild again. It is, but it's perfect actually up here. I mean, we're not seeing any snowfall, but it's cold enough for them to snow make. And you can see, I mean, there's tons of snow and there's a lot of people enjoying it. By the way, I just wanted to mention, there's also the Nordic area up here, which I just talked to Joffrey. They've got a really cool snowshoeing area that's just a two kilometer round trip that's all lit up, just like you see uh, during sort of the Christmas time, it's Christmas season. Uh, so it's all lit up and a great thing to do with families if you're looking for something to do. All right, let's talk about about weather. We are in for rain tomorrow. Not up here. It will be snow up here because it will be cold enough. But down low tomorrow, you may need to leave a little bit of extra time for your commute to work. Certainly a wet one. And then in the afternoon, conditions will ease off. We are expecting still a chance of showers. And then by Friday morning, conditions will continue to ease off. I'm expecting actually breaks of blue sky here on Friday. If you're traveling though, we are expecting snow on the mountain passes over the next little while. Let's have a look at our forecast for northern BC. The breaks of blue sky that you see in these icons are mainly through the afternoon hours. Bulk of the precipitation will be in through uh, the morning hours and that's the case across the south. Again, mountain passes even during the daytime and during the, at the summits will still see snowfall. So a lot of people will be traveling for the long weekend. Keep that in mind. For our region, certainly wet but drier on Friday with breaks of sunshine in the morning but then by Friday night we're right back into periods of rain again. The good news is we finish off our family day weekend with two days of sunshine. Hopefully that's the case as we approach the, the end of the weekend, but uh, it certainly looks like a drying trend and a clearing sky expected towards the end of the weekend, which will be perfect up here. Back to you guys. All right. Thanks, Christy. When British mother Emma Ayers posted video of her one-year-old son Albie playing with his food, she had no idea it would both go viral and be an inspiration as well. <laughs> <laughs> So cute. The video shows Albie happily smearing his spaghetti all over that little Buddha-like belly as his mom laughs. The video's been viewed more than 12 million times, but more than that, Emma, the mom, says she's heartened by the fact that among the thousands of comments, no one has pointed out the fact that Albie has Down syndrome, just that he's adorable. Although she does say the cleanup was not a lot of fun. All right, we're turning, just before we get to Jay, we're turning to Whistler now and Squire to talk about another well-known Canadian Olympic athlete. Yeah, it was one of the best moments, coolest moments of the Games, that triumphant walk through the village with a pitcher of beer, Squire. Yeah, I would say, you know what, if you think about the 2010 Olympics, there were two very quintessential Canadian moments. One happened on this very night, 10 years ago, when Wayne Gretzky was in the back of a pickup truck being pursued by the happiest drunks I've ever seen. That was quite Canadian. And the other was John Montgomery, who had won gold in the skeleton, coming off the Excalibur gondola, walking pretty much down this path, and somebody just over here in Black's Pub ran out and gave him an entire pitcher of beer, which the entire world saw. Now, I could tell you the rest of the story because it's legendary, but it's much better if the legend himself tells you the story. I was tobogganing. Uh, I was just coming from a doping test, and so I had relieved myself of all bodily fluids to, for testing to make sure that I was a clean athlete. Yes. And then I was basically, um, it was sort of manifest destiny, let's call it. I was thinking, you know what would be great? 
is a frosty pint of beer. And as I'm thinking it, a pitcher shows up and manifests itself in front of my face. And I refer to the lady that gave it to me as my beer angel. But we were just on our way to an interview and she saw me on the monitor uh, in the t- on the TV screen in the pub. And she thought to herself that that looked like a thirsty kid. And she got her brother behind the bar to pull a pint, or pull a pitcher. And, uh, and she brought it out to us. I think he was in Keith Baldry's office when he told us that story. Anyway, as I said, John Montgomery's little walk was right down here and just continued on to wherever he had to go, and it was somebody at Black's Pub who ran out, and that was February 19th, uh, 2010. I mean, when you think about the Olympics, you think about one memory, then another one comes back, and then another one, and another one, and another one. And for me, and I think for a lot of people, all the memories are good. I totally agree with you. Yeah, there was a, a sort of a joy and a, and a spirit of camaraderie that existed for that two weeks, three weeks, through the Paralympics that really was amazing. So true story. So I was up for the entire time in Whistler. The next morning, we interviewed John. I don't think he had a lick of sleep, and he still <laughs> no. smelt like that pitcher of beer. They it was a fantastic look like interview. Footsteps. Yeah, exactly. Where John yeah, was. Exactly. He'd probably be a little bit crooked as the evening went on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> let's uh, let's get to the Canucks, shall we? Got it. It is a special night, uh, one that's been a year in the making. Tonight, we get to see Daniel and Henrik Sedin's jerseys being raised to the, raised to the Raptors as the Canucks retire number 22 and number 33. 200 people from Sweden have made the journey over for tonight's festivities. Same for numerous former teammates of the Twins. The hour-long ceremony is underway as we speak prior to Chicago taking on the Canucks. It's game three of a six-game homestand for Vancouver. Now, all week long, the players have openly discussed how much Daniel and Henrik mean to this franchise and how special tonight is for everybody in our province. Just really special. Um, probably a lot, of, a lot of my friends would love to be in my shoes. And, Kind of had a unique experience of meeting them firsthand. So, um, but more importantly, I think everybody in the city probably has a story to tell about the Sedins in one way or another how they affected them. So, um, just honoring two great people. Uh, I was telling someone yesterday. I, for whatever reason, there was a newspaper article that said like Daniel four Red Wings one or something. Bertuzzi with a good pass. Here's Daniel Sedin. Daniel Sedin, nice move. The goal scores. Oh, what a pretty goal! I think he had four goals in that one game. Dangerous play at the line. Empty net, Daniel Sedin with three. Make it four. I don't know why that sticks out, but I remember that like yesterday. You know, they're world-class people. I mean, they, they came to the rink every single day to work. They, um, you know, they're leaders on and off the ice in the community, around the rink. Um, for a young guy seeing that, um, what they did for, for this organization, you just want to you want to do half of what they did, and and uh, and I'd be happy. So, um, you know, they meant a lot to me in my first four years. I want to give you an update on Jay Bomeister. It was a frightening night in Anaheim last night. He just finished his shift in the first parade, went to the bench, had a sip of water, and then collapsed on the bench. This is eerily similar to when Yuri Fisher went down for the Red Wings years ago. His teammates immediately calling for medical help. He suffered cardiac a cardiac episode. They used a defibrillator to revive him. He was rushed to hospital. He remains hospitalized. He's resting comfortably in stable condition. They're running a battery of tests to see what caused this cardiac episode. The game was postponed. The NHL says they're going to play it at a later date. This also, by the way, was the Blues' first game of their father-son road trip, so his dad is staying with him. But it looks like he's going to be all right, so that's great news. Good. All right, now this might be one of the coolest entrances for a tennis tournament. Check it out. 
Vasek Pospisil in Rotterdam, the opening uh, match of the ABN Amro World Tennis Tournament. Hey, Vasek had the great run last week in France. Imagine doing the news like that, just coming down, so I like he does. that. Chris, you have your Chris name there? come down like that. That is true. <laughs> With the flashing parking spot in the back there. It's in, my, it's in my contract. He had the great run last week in France where he lost in the finals. Today he took on world number five, Daniel Medvedev. And Vasek saved five of six break points in this match. Also converted three of five break points. An impressive 6-4, 6-3 straight set victory. Second week in a row that he's eliminated a top ten opponent. You forget that he missed half of 2019 because of back surgery. Fellow Canadian Felix Auger-Aliassime was also a first-round winner. Now, Pospisil's world ranking is going to get within the 100s, but here's what he talked about after his match. Honestly, it's uh, it's kind of, it just came completely unexpectedly. I uh, I I'm a huge maple syrup guy. I mean, I, di- I didn't really think much. Of it. I didn't really even realize it was that. I mean, I didn't realize it was that funny until I guess after the match when it kind of blew up because I'm Canadian. I I kind of but at the time, I mean, I just I, I travel with maple syrup. I use it religiously in the mornings, and then and then I was low on energy gels, and and then we realized I found out my physio was like, oh, you know, marathon runners use it, and I was like, oh wow, and then I I. Just just, uh, I was like, well, I'll use it for the match, and, and I love the taste, and it gave me good energy. So I was like, uh, and I'm Canadian, so I should be using it, I guess, right? <laughs> Typical Canadian. So they're raising Daniel and Hendricks' jersey to the rafters. I'm sure Jay Durant will show all that tonight on News mm-hmm. Our Final. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Jay. Here's your snow report for this evening. Once again, not a lot of new snow across South Coast Mountains, but I'll tell you, there is some coming tonight, and you should see it over the next couple of days. Manny Park picked up three centimeters of new snow. Fernie, six. Kicking Horse, one. Big White, five. Silver Star, one. Sun Peaks, one. And Apex, nothing new. Mount Washington, one. Whitewater, seven. Red Mountain, two. And Powder King, six. Coming up on ET Canada, did The Bachelor Peter Weber find love on the show with a producer? We're investigating the rumors. Plus, former Empire star Jesse Smollett gets into more trouble with the Chicago PD. That's coming up at 7 right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris and Sophie. All right. Thanks very much, Carlos. Well, it was 10 years ago tonight that the 2010 Olympic Winter Games opening ceremony was held. And one of the most closely guarded secrets was who would be the torchbearers. That's right. Everyone remembers Wayne Gretzky, Steve Nash, Nancy Green, Katrina LeMay Doan, and of course, Rick Hansen, who famously brought the torch into BC Play Stadium. But what you've never heard is that Rick had to secretly audition for that job. Is the man. Look at this, it's a reunion. It's been years since these two friends have seen each other. Together to share a story they've never told until now. How are you? Good. Excellent. We thought, you know, Rick did this amazing trip around the world. And we thought maybe finishing the relay would be a great spot for Rick. Getting the call from John was like, I mean, it was unbelievable. But there was one problem. The final leg of the torch relay into BC Play Stadium included a steep 10-foot ramp. Opening ceremony's producer, David Atkins, thought it would be impossible for anyone in a wheelchair. He said he can't. I said he can't. And I said, if you have the courage to tell Rick Hansen there's something he can't do, you are a better man than me. Just to shut me up, he decided to test this thinking it wouldn't work. David Atkins, the producer, is a great guy and uh, had his big plans and an but he didn't really understand my story. 
That story is the Man in Motion World Tour. Rick Hansen conquering some of the greatest challenges in the world for anyone in a wheelchair. The Great Wall of China, for instance, and the grinding, relentless challenge of Port Moody's Thermal Hill. A 10-foot ramp was nothing in comparison, but Atkins needed convincing. Unbeknownst to me, he went off and like, got a wheelchair and sat in the chair and, and tried to wheel up the ramp and he got about two strokes and he, I think he fell over backwards and was completely convinced it wasn't possible. That's when John Furlong and Hansen threw together the plan for Rick to prove he could do it. I had to be so quiet about the entire thing that, you know, my family, uh, my wife, no one really knew at the time. And yeah, so I just kind of managed to disappear off the radar for, you know, a couple of hours. Rick drove down to BC Place under cover of darkness and met the producer for a secret audition known only to a small circle of people. And he pointed to the ramp and he said, well, what do you think? I looked at it. I said, yeah, I think we can do it. He goes, really? He, go, he says, show me. <laughs> So I kind of rolled up the sleeves and up I went. And it was challenging, but nothing beyond the possible. And, and ultimately, I got to the top and his, his jaw, I think, hit the floor. And he just went, oh, my God. He said, I guess we're on. <laughs> David, to his credit, he woke me up. He said, I'm down here and I couldn't believe what I just saw. It's going to work great. It ended up being one of the most dramatic moments of the ceremonies and a moment Rick will never forget. It was, a, it was a huge challenge, but you know, I mean, I felt like I was being sucked up that hill by the entire country and indeed the world. And so uh, when I got to the top, you know, the, it was a really heartfelt expression of accomplishment, jubilation, and again, like I said earlier, real pride in being part of the Canadian games and welcoming the world. Okay, now we all have Man in Motion stuck in our Right? Hand. Yeah. That was great. Thanks, Rick, for being available. And He's so cool. Oh, yeah. Being honest Best. about it, too. Uh, it was a really, really cool story. All right. So, Squire's in Whistler. Christy is at Cyprus. And, uh, and they're in their Olympic gear. That's right. Yes, first. I broke it out. <laughs> Looking I good. broke it out. What is Squire you know, wearing? I, I, I'm wearing the, a Canada jacket with leather sleeves. This, I don't know, it's, it's from nice. the Olympics. That's all I remember. Like you know what I'm wondering though? You know what I'm wondering? <laughs> what does it take for a guy to have someone walk out and give him a free pitcher of beer? Oh, it's not happening. Oh. Apparently it takes a gold medal, which I don't have. <laughs> no one's doing it does, that for it you. It does. Well, you don't really drink beer anyway. No so one's doing it. I've been here, I've been like here for like two hours. No one's doing gloves. it. <laughs> All right, and Christy, of course, in Cyprus, uh, looked much different ten years uh, ten years later. Oh, it sure does. And uh, we are expecting more snow tonight, which is great for all the local skiers here. It should be a good weekend, especially with Family Day weekend coming up. We got our first gold medal of the games at Cyprus, too. There you go. That's right. Freestyle skiing. That's right. All right. Thanks, you guys. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Have a great night.